We're in the book of Colossians today, again, chapter 1, down to verse 24. This is, if you're using the Black Pew Bibles, this is page 1168. <laughs> While you're turning, I just want to m- mention, um, some of us have, have been gathering for prayer once a month um, to, to pray for our missionaries, and tonight, around 7 o'clock, we're going to do that again at my house. If anybody would like to join us, you're welcome to join us for prayer for our missionaries. Okay, we've been going through the book of Colossians. God willing, next week we're going to take a uh, an Advent for the next month, starting next week, we'll, we'll take an Advent break from Colossians and focus on the advent of our Lord Jesus, his first and especially his next advent, and to prepare our hearts for that. So, but today I just wanted to go on at least a little farther in Colossians. This is a letter from jail. Paul's writing from jail. He's been thrown in, the, in prison for the sake of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's kind of an odd thing, but things haven't changed much in all these centuries. Uh, you would think that people would welcome the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from works of the law or performance that we have to do to earn or to be good enough to merit God's favor. Christ has given us grace, and you would think that that good news would be welcomed and, and actually... In many places it is scorned, and even now in our world today, in some places it's seen as a hate crime to proclaim the good news of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. But uh, it was no no different in Paul's day in the sense that these these, uh, preachers of the gospel were often suffering and put in jail for their faith and for their message. So here we are down in, starting at verse 24, and I think this whole section from chapter 1, verse 24, goes all the way down through the first five verses of chapter 2. So I'm going to read that whole thing, and we're just going to touch on the first couple of verses of that passage today. Just just before I read, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that we have the Bible in our own, own language, Lord, and help us not, not to take that for granted. So many have sacrificed so much so that we could have the English Bible in our own heart language. <clears throat> Lord, just ask that you would help us now in these moments that we spend together in your word. Would you please um, shape us by the power of your Holy Spirit with the words of the Bible? Shape us, Lord. Help us not not to be shaped by our culture or by the latest fads, but help us to be shaped and influenced and incrementally changed by the word of God. So please help us as we listen. Help me as I try to preach and unfold these verses. We ask that you would be honored and pleased in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. So this morning, God willing, we're just going to cover verses 24 through 26. And I just have a question for you. When do you consider it a joy to suffer? Most of us think, never. (laughs) Uh, I prefer not to suffer. and And I think, if we're honest, we would all say that. But we also realize that some suffering has a higher goal, like Right? Like when a mother suffers the pains of childbirth. And even the Bible talks about this. When when a woman's going through childbirth, she's in great agony. And yet, when the child is finally born, the joy that that child brings just seems to cause the pain to be less. I've never done that, so I don't want to say that the pain disappears. Uh, But... The joy, it becomes greater than the pain when you have that precious life in front of you. And you can see the benefit of that. Paul says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I just think it's a kind of a counter-cultural statement. We, if, if we just stop for a minute, that should be an arresting statement to us because, let's be honest, how many of us could say that, um, and how frequently could we say that? And here's somebody in jail, um, either he's, he's either imprisoned in Rome, and some, or some scholars believe maybe he was imprisoned in Ephesus, but he's in prison for the sake of the gospel, and he's saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to think about that for a while. How could Paul say that? How could Paul say that? And mean it. Um, well, 
the first thing that comes to my mind, how Paul could rejoice in suffering is just like the early apostles. Do you remember after Jesus died, rose from the grave, and then ascended back to heaven? The, the early, his early followers were filled with his spirit, and they had boldness. And they weren't afraid of dying. They weren't afraid of the Jews anymore. And they were filled with this. We talked about this in Sunday school today. First John chapter 4, perfect love drives out fear. And he who fears has not yet been completed or perfected in love. And uh, when the Holy Spirit came on those apostles, not, not that they were perfect, but the love of God was flowing through them, and they did not have fear. And they went around saying to everyone, there is salvation in no other name under heaven. There's been no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And they looked at the Jewish leaders and said, you put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, and we're all witnesses of that. And if you will repent of your sins and put your confidence in him, your sins will be washed away. And in Acts chapter 5, the, the scriptures say that they couldn't find anything more to do against them, the, the magistrates, and so they flogged them. They, they had them beaten. And in Acts chapter 5, it says they went out, rejoicing that they had been, been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. That's such an awesome thing to me. <clears throat> and you know why they rejoiced? Because even though they suffered dishonor, Christ was honored through their suffering. It's one thing to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to say, I love Jesus Christ, even if it means it's going to cost me something. When people suffer, whatever it is they're suffering for gets exalted. When a woman suffers through child labor, that baby becomes exceedingly precious. I mean, just to try to draw the parallel. When these, these early followers of Jesus were beaten for him, Christ gets honored. They got dishonored, but they considered it a great blessing to be able to give honor to Christ and to suffer dishonor for his name. That's one of the things I think that might have been in Paul's mind. He was just thankful that his sufferings, his imprisonment, give glory and honor to Christ. Maybe another thing he was thinking, and I'm just thinking of all these Bible phrases, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So the old King James says patience, and you've heard people say, don't ever pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, God will put you in a long line at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Or put you, well, we should pray for patience and endurance because we need it. We need patience and endurance. A Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And uh, we need endurance. <clears throat> but Paul also says we rejoice in our tribulation. In, in Romans 5, he says we rejoice in tribulation because we know that tribulation produces endurance and endurance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not make a shame because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So Paul might have been thinking of all those things and how everything we suffer for Christ now will be richly rewarded. 
He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for this light and momentary affliction is actually producing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So Paul's thinking, the sufferings I go through now is actually producing for me a heavenly weight of glory. He might have been thinking of that, but I think especially all those things, not discounting all those things, all those things are good reasons for us to not run from suffering, but to embrace it. But also Paul is saying here in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He is suffering for the sake of the Colossians. What, what does he mean by that? My suffering is somehow advancing your faith in the gospel. When Paul was in prison for the gospel, the Colossians were praying for him. Epaphras was going, was going back and forth, being a uh, faithful minister, um, Antichicus and Onesimus, and these people were telling about Paul's sufferings, and somehow the sufferings of God's people both glorify Christ and they advance the cause of Christ in the lives of other people. How in the world does that work? Well, he goes on in verse 24 to say, Suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. What does that mean? I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> let's just stop there for a second and say, what's lacking in Christ's affliction? Is anything, from an atonement standpoint... From, from paying the penalty for our sins, there's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, okay? The Apostle Paul, many other places, even this, own, this letter itself, he makes it abundantly clear that Christ's once-for-all sacrifice is all that is needed to atone for our sins and to make us right with God. You don't add to that. Uh, feast, uh, observing certain feast days, keeping certain Sabbath days, dietary laws. You don't add to Christ some sort of works of congruous or condign merit to help, your, to help receive justifying grace. No, no, no. Christ's afflictions were perfect as far as atoning for people's sins. So what in the world does he mean when he says that, and I am filling up in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. I think he means, since the job is not yet done, of taking the good news to the whole world, since the job is not yet done, others have yet to hear and be converted and be saved. But they don't just hear. God has designed Ordinarily, he has designed that the gospel must be heard and seen. Seen how? Seen through the suffering that gospel love requires. Love is seeking another's highest good at a cost to oneself. 
one of the things that has given Christianity a bad name is that sometimes Christians act in ways that are not loving to others. Um, sometimes they act even in religious things as a way of making themselves feel better about themselves. But when we are really loving other people and there is suffering involved in it, Christ's afflictions are seen through our life. Paul is suffering in prison for the sake of the gospel. His loving evangelism cost him something, and his suffering is on display, and others can see in Paul the afflictions of Christ. <clears throat> I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think Matthew Henry said it, maybe it would be better translated, afflictions for Christ among his people. In other words, their afflictions suffered for him that help advance the gospel. So they see the love of Christ displayed in Paul's love for them as he suffers. He, he wouldn't have to do that. He would not have to suffer in prison if he would just say, you know, I take back everything I said. Um, but he is suffering for the truth of the good news that he was bringing to people like the Colossians, like the Laodiceans, uh, that he was teaching, even though it was through the hand of Epaphras that those people heard the good news. Paul was, was teaching those things and suffering for that, for the sake of the truth of Christ. So Paul's afflictions were, in a sense, the afflictions of Christ. And in the sense of filling up what is lacking, it's not that Christ's afflictions were lacking, atoning for people's sins, but God is filling up, making visible the afflictions of Christ through the sufferings of his people for Christ. I'll just read what the ESV Study Bible notes say about it. <clears throat> Maybe that'll make it more clear. Christ's sufferings are in fact sufficient and nothing of one's own can be added to secure salvation. What was, quote, lacking in Christ's afflictions was the future suffering of all who, like Paul, will experience great affliction for the sake of the gospel as Paul described in places like 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. So what the ESV Study Bible is saying is what's lacking is all the future sufferings of God's children that would have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Okay? And uh, Paul calls it filling up in his flesh what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. So the people in Colossae had to see the love of Christ in Paul's sufferings. <clears throat> when someone suffers for you, and they, it's one thing to say, I love you, but when someone is willing to suffer to love you, then you know that there is real love there. So I believe what Paul is driving at is the love of Christ in his afflictions and the afflictions of Christ is shining through and in that sense he's filling up what needs to be made visible of the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his church. 
Now Paul says, of which, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. When he says the mystery, he's not talking about something that's uh, secret and that's never known. It's something that had been not fully known for centuries and for generations, but now had been revealed to the saints in Christ. And he, he tells what that mystery is in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We'll get to that sometime in the future, but... Paul's saying in verse 25, 26, I have a stewardship. I have become a minister for, to the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. The word minister there um, is the, the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon. It just means a servant. I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul saw that his commission, his calling to take the good news to the Gentiles was a stewardship from God. <clears throat> you know a steward, you know what a stewardship is? It means somebody puts you in charge of something and you have to take care of it. Like if you're the manager of the McDonald's, well, managers have bigger bosses. And the bigger bosses come down and say, well, let, look at your numbers. Let's look at the, uh, the income and the, and the expenses. And if you're managing a place well, then you get praise and sometimes a promotion or a raise. And if you're managing it poorly, sometimes you get fired. So a stewardship is someone who's like a household manager. That's where the word originally comes from. In the ancient world, like a, a person who had... A wealthy person might have a manager of his entire household. That was the, his steward. And that person had to be found faithful in managing the boss's uh, stuff, his household. And so what Paul's saying is, I have a stewardship from God to make the word of God fully known to the Gentiles, to preach the word of Christ to the Gentiles. Again, I'm going to quote out of the ESV Study Bible. Paul views himself as a divinely commissioned steward or administrator, a word that was widely used in the Roman world for the administrator of a large household or a state. Paul's responsibility was to make the word of God fully known. <clears throat> so, Paul knew he had to answer to God someday for his stewardship, so he was being faithful to that calling. So what do we learn from these verses for our lives today? What truth can we draw from these verses for our lives today? When does suffering become a joy? Well, I would just say this. Paul knew that his suffering would work together for his good and God's glory. Romans 8, 28, he knew his suffering would work patience and endurance and proven character and, in, and hope because of the miraculous way that Christ has transformed our sufferings. 
He knew that the ultimate triumph of the gospel was certain, so he knew that his suffering was not in vain. In fact, because of the resurrection of Christ, he knew that all of his labors were not in vain in the Lord. And he knew that there would be a return on his investment. There would be an eternal weight of glory for all suffering that he endured. We must remember that when we are called to suffer for Christ's sake, we are blessed. Peter says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When you suffer, now Peter is quick to say, don't let any of you suffer as an evildoer, as a meddler, as a gossip. Don't let it be your own fault that you're suffering. But if you suffer for Christ according to the will of God, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What is that? I don't know except to say there must be a special way that God visits his people when they suffer for Christ with glory and blessing and his presence. But especially here in this case, why is Paul able to be so joyful? Because his suffering was advancing the gospel in the lives of other people, including the Colossian believers. He was truly paying the price for gospel love. All suffering for Christ either has a direct or an indirect blessing toward others. All suffering for Christ has either a direct or indirect blessing to others. We were made for God. We were made in His image, and when we love others truly, then we are reflecting God's image most clearly. I'm just going to draw out an illustration of this. My wife drew my attention to this. I saw it before she drew my attention to it, but she said this would be a good illustration. And uh, there's a woman in Finland. I'm sure I won't get her name right. Uh, I don't know how they say it. But I'm going to say Paivi Rasanen. Rasanen. She's a Finnish woman who's been in Parliament since the mid-90s. She's a Christian mother of five children, married to a pastor in Finland. This woman posted a social media post back in 2019, and um, she has been investigated for hate crimes because her post was simply a picture taken of a passage out of Romans 1 challenging her church's embracing of the gay pride movement and said when the church embraces what God's word says is sinful and shameful, then something's wrong. I'll just read, I'm just going to read a little bit out of Decision, that's her picture on the front of Decision magazine. I'm sure you can't see it, but um, I'm just going to read a little bit here of her story. Some in the news media in Finland are calling it the Bible trial. The woman at the center of the case, a longtime member of Finland's parliament and a devout Christian named Paivi Rasinen, would agree wholeheartedly. Rasinen, a medical doctor by training and a mother of five, faces criminal charges for sharing her Christian beliefs about marriage and sexuality in a 2019 social media post 
and also a 2004 booklet that she co-wrote and a 2019 radio interview. Her case, she told Decision Magazine, is ultimately about the Bible itself. She has been charged, along with Bishop Johanna Pohola, who published the 2004 pamphlet with three crimes under the Finnish criminal codes, war crimes and crimes against humanity, including agitation against a minority. And with similar agitation laws in numerous European countries being used to curb speech against minorities based on race, sexuality, religion, and other categories, her case could have ramifications across Europe. Rossinen has served in Parliament since 1995. She first came under fire after posting that 2019 tweet in which she challenged the leadership of her Lutheran denomination for sponsoring the Helsinki Pride Parade. In the tweet, she attached a photo with a text from Romans chapter 1. When prosecutors discovered that Rossinen had written a pamphlet in 2004 on marriage and sexuality titled Male and Female, he created them and had upheld the biblical view of marriage and sex during a radio broadcast, they used it all as evidence against her, and a criminal investigation ensued. Authorities interrogated Rossinen for a total of 13 hours about her interpretation of Scripture and her beliefs of what would be considered historic Orthodox Bible doctrines. Finland's prosecutor general eventually charged her, along with Pahola, for what accounts for what amounts to criminal hate speech. I'm not going to keep reading. <clears throat> she was recently acquitted again, but uh, the last I heard that the prosecutor general is appealing the case even further, and she could face a maximum of two years imprisonment and, and or fines for this. And I just draw it to our attention because this is right where we are living today. Uh, when you state publicly what the Bible says about life and what pleases God and what displeases God, you are running the risk of, of a hate crime, or as it says in, in their laws in Finland, agitation against minorities. And she says, rather, I, I listened to one of her interviews on CBN, and she says, instead of a hate crime, I feel like it's an act of love for me to tell people the truth of God's word. God's the one that determines what is sin and what is not. He's the one that determines how we should live and how we should not. He made us. He knows best. Uh, but, you know, the thing that is so encouraging, as I heard on this interview, is that Quite a few people have written to her and saying, wow, I never really knew what the Bible said about these things. I've been reading my Bible more. And some, some who were part of the gay pride movement have reached out to her and said, it was through your court, court case and through me looking at the Bible that I have become a Christian. So she is very... She's rejoicing. And when I say that, let me just say this. When Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, and when Pavi Rasanen says, I'm glad that I'm going through this, it's not because they like the pain itself. 
but they like what it produces in the lives of other people. She said, I have been able under hours of interrogation to just open the Bible. And they say, what, is, what, do, you, what do you mean by sin? And she says, I'm just able to open the Bible and tell them what God's word says about what sin is. And then I'm able to tell them about the gospel, the salvation that we have by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And she says, so I'm happy that I'm able to do that, and I'm happy that my case, it seems to be God-ordained, that my case is helping other Christians be strong and bold, but also helping bring some non-Christians to Christ. And I just say all that to try to bring a modern-day example of what Paul's saying here. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, the visible display of Christians willing to suffer on the road of gospel love toward others. And I just ask you, brothers and sisters, are are we ready and willing to step into that? Are we ready and willing for the sake of the advance of the gospel? Are we willing to suffer? I think it's a I think it's a honest and a hard question. It's easy in church to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." But tomorrow morning in the office, how does it feel? Or on the playground at school or wherever you're at, how does it feel when you say, "You know, God has a better design." Oh, here goes the preacher again. It's the TV evangelist. That's what I got called once upon a time. And that, that, that God help us to love people like Paul loved people with the gospel enough to step into a zone of suffering if it will advance the gospel for their sakes. And what do we have to fear? And I I say it to myself. What I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself. What do we have to fear if God be for us? Who could be against us? Who? And what that means, you you could say, well, plenty of people, Drew. Well, I'm, 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 I'm using Paul's words out of Romans 8. What he means is, who can successfully be against me? Jesus said, don't fear those who can only kill your body. Okay. Yeah. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body, and after that they got nothing more they can do to you. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Yes, I tell you, Jesus said, fear him. But if we will repent of our sins and turn to Christ in faith, we have peace with God. The blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we don't have to fear the one who can destroy our soul and body in hell, then who else do we have to fear? Nobody. I'm saying it to myself, but I'm saying it to you. Come on, let's believe the Bible. (laughs) You say, Drew, come on, we're, 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 we're churchgoers. We believe the Bible. Do we? Do we? Even when we can't see it, 
even when we can't see it, somehow, if we're suffering for advancing the gospel, if we're suffering for Christ, somehow, either directly or indirectly, it's going to benefit others. It's going to bless others. If we are suffering for Jesus in this world, in the sense that we're trying to follow him according to his word, then we can be sure he will not waste our suffering. He will use it for gospel good in this world somehow. So let's rejoice when suffering for Jesus and suffering with Jesus. You know, it feels like to me, sometimes preachers feel like they, the, all their sermons start sounding the same. As I was walking the dog this morning, I was thinking, well, you talk about suffering a lot, Drew, and it just seems like it's in the Bible a lot. Maybe it's because I've got suffering glasses on, but I feel like we're in a time period in history where we're going to suffer for the sake of Christ. And let's not look at that as, oh, that's so terrible. It'll be an honor for us. And somehow he will use our suffering to advance the gospel in the lives of other people. If you're here today and you, 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 you haven't entrusted yourself to Jesus, this is the day. This is the day. Throw yourself on his mercy. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Humble yourself before him like a little child and throw yourself into his arms and say, I give up. All the paths of sin are a lie. They have lied to me. I believe you are the way. Take me. Make me yours. And he will. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who rejoiced that he was able to suffer for the sake of the Colossians because it was advancing the gospel. Lord, I pray for us that we would be like, like this woman in Finland that you have appointed, that, that we would be that we would love you and we would love people enough to speak the truth in love, not, not in arrogance or in, in a uh, we're better than you mentality, Lord, but in a brokenhearted, loving, Christ-focused way that we could speak the truth. You would give us the boldness and the freedom to speak your truth in love to a lost and broken and dying world. Lord, please help us. And I pray, Lord, for any of us here today that are outside of Christ, that you would have mercy upon us and draw us in. I ask this in Jesus' name.